and welcome to another episode of Arte Labore, a Blackburn Rovers podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. In today's special episode, you'll be hearing from my exclusive interview with Ryan Nelson last month, where he chats about his time at Blackburn Rovers, leaving the club, Steve Keane, Sam Allardyce and plenty more. Of course, you'll have probably have already read this interview in the Lancashire Te- Telegraph and there was a special Q&A section that went live on Friday morning as well. So go and check that out if you haven't already. But for those that may want to listen in audio form or haven't missed the interview first time around, here is my full chat with Ryan Nelson, Blackburn Rovers legend. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us um, this afternoon. Um, obviously, big Blackburn Rovers figure. You arrived at the club in from DC United in 2005. What, what were your initial thoughts moving to England? And did you have other offers on the table or, or was it always going to be Rovers if, if you did move, make the move to England? No, it was really, really kind of the only option I had. Um, I had to trial at Blackburns and Mark, Mark Hughes got me to come and trial for like one week that turned into two weeks and then three weeks. And then later I found out that he only did that on purpose so I wouldn't go anywhere else to trial. So <laughs> it was torturous for me. But um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, eventually he said um, that they liked to offer me, um, you know, a little short-term deal. So um. So yeah, I, my first thoughts were, oh no, no, no now I'm going to get found out. <laughs> so, well, that was clearly obviously not the case because you know after that six month deal, you you quickly signed for three years. Obviously, that that was a great period to be at Blackburn Rovers. How influential was you talk about Mark Hughes pulling your leg a little bit in those those early um, early times at the club? How how influential was he for you in terms of helping you to adapt to the Premier League and and obviously a new club? Well, he he gave me he gave me an opportunity where I don't think many others would, and I think that's probably because, you know, the Welsh kind of, um, you know, I suppose smaller kind of cousin to England kind of thing. You know, he he kind of grew up probably you know same kind of thing as a New Zealander playing in America, and you know coming over here you don't you don't really have the reputation, but he didn't really care about that kind of stuff, and I think that's probably maybe the Welsh New Zealand kind of attitude was pretty similar. Um, so I'm always I've always been in debt with him in honesty because he did give me an opportunity when I know a lot of people wouldn't have and um, and at that time he just was not scared to make decisions I thought that were um, that were pretty bold decisions right um, but he backed himself and and I think that showed in um, some of the performances that everybody kind of you know in return gave him because um, yeah as I said he was he wasn't too scared to kind of um, to make the make the big calls. Do you think your your personality clearly came through in those early weeks because you came into the club quite quickly, established yourself as one of the leaders in what was a bit a big you know a dressing room full of big characters. Do you think having that sort of leadership quality gave you obviously it gives you a foot in the door almost for for people to give you an opportunity? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, <clears throat> I don't know really what you know. I was just being myself. It's not like a you know you're trying to be a leader or like or you're trying to do anything different. Um, I think, you know, that when you have big personalities um, in a changing room um, and you have multiple of them, sometimes they can, you know, they can clash or, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of testosterone around, a lot of auras kind of clashing and all that. And I, and I suppose one of, one of my strengths was that um, I don't really have any of that. <laughs> I don't really have an ego or, or, or anything really. Um 
so people can relate i think people can easily talk to me and i always felt like i could um you know help people kind of whether whether they wanted it or not or just kind of channel in the right direction um so i think that's what, what probably my strength was i, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a type of leadership but i wouldn't say it's the kind of macho leadership that you kind of see on um yeah i'm not screaming or yelling or anything like that very really did it but but um i think i could get guys on the same page and smiling and happy and let's go and try and win football games yeah, absolutely. And that, that camaraderie can be so important when you're trying to punch above your weight at times. You obviously finished in the UEFA Cup places in your first full season at the club. How good was that team that, that managed to do that? You had a lot of players, obviously, in, in their prime when you look back. It must have been like a great place to be at Ewood Park at that stage. Oh, it was incredible. You know, sometimes you, you do look back and you go, what a team that was. Like, I mean, and you don't really realise that kind of when you're in the mix of it, um, how good it was and how, how many personalities you have like they just don't make those type of personalities anymore um but you know the fans were on board the club was just run so well management was great players were doing their thing it was just you know i think in blackburn rovers history it was kind of one of those really good times and um it's not until you kind of look back afterwards do you really realize that um that it was something special yeah you're absolutely right apart from probably the the title winning era it's, it's probably the golden period of the the club's recent history you talk about the personalities and how they, they don't make them like that anymore. I, I was watching back an interview you did a couple of years ago talking about two guy where um, he was having a cigarette at halftime and things like that. And whilst you wouldn't get that from a sports science part of today, there probably is something lost a little bit in the, those sort of personalities that are probably less common in the game today. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm not, you know, I'm definitely not promoting people having a cigarette at halftime <laughs> or uh or taking the fan out of the uh the bathroom area so he could uh blow smoke up and do it and not get caught um but um but it it, it is it, he wouldn't have been the same player if um if probably if he was born these days because they would have probably got you know trained that out of him trained that personality out of, out of him as a young player um where you know you can't teach the stuff that he did you know that it's a god-given talent um you know his characteristics off the field kind of mirrored on the field and and it and it built up in this beautiful kind of cocktail of just you know excellence and creativity and and stuff you can't teach and um i know you know looking at now i think maybe that would have been coached out you know which is such a shame because you know, I, I do feel the modern day get you know players. Um, they are amazing athletes, and they're technically amazing as well. But they're very similar. Um, they do they do look like they they've been just thrown out of a of a of a factory and cloned and and all that. So it's a shame we don't have those personalities anymore. Does that take a a really good man manager in terms of to accept that some not faults, but, you know, a, a personality, everyone's got different characteristics, but to still harness that and get the best out of the player as well. Yeah, look, look at you, look, you, you know, you're on a knife edge, right? Because, you know, if you don't play well, you, that kind of that, that kind of stuff can always come back to hurt you. If you. As long as you're performing, then it can be, certain managers will accept that. And, and you know, you, you know, if you're, if you're a, a club that's a top, top club or a big club, you know, that might not be acceptable. It's just no, no. But, you know, when you're at kind of, um, you, you, you know, when you're middle of the road kind of club in the Premier League at, at that time, you needed you needed to kind of 
have something that differentiates you from from the other clubs and and these type of players were and as long as you had um you know a, a foundation of good pros that we we had a lot of them at Blackburn um that that were happy to happy to deal with that or happy to deal with any of the kind of you know weaknesses that came with that um you know but he won us i mean two just just to name one of them you know how many how many games did he win by himself for for Blackburn over the years, it was um... the fact that there's so many show reels and compilations still yeah. going around today, and and every single one of them absolutely blows up online whenever a Blackburn Rovers fan gets hold of it. Just shows exactly what you're saying. Yeah, no, exactly. Let if let's talk about your relationship with with Chris Samba in terms of your defensive partnership. How good was he to play alongside and, and how well did you complement each other? And was that something that sort of clicked when he came to a club or was it more of something that you worked on in training that perhaps people don't appreciate when they just turn up on a Saturday, for example? Yeah, it's pretty incredible when you think about it, how, you know, I turned up as a free and um, I think Chris was a few hundred grand, right? Um, yeah. Coming out, yeah, not much, but but when, when we saw him, when he first came in, we just saw the specimen of an athlete and... Um, you know, it was kind of one of those ones where you just get out of his way because he was so big and strong. And um, so when he started playing, um, um, he pretty much complimented me pretty well. You know, I, I like to read the game. I like to, you know, I suppose organize and things like that. Where where Chris was just such a such an athletic player. Um, he was kind of he he did all the all the the things that I couldn't really do. So we complimented each other really well and. Um, and um, you know, to, when you look back for, for that for that partnership to be you know worth four hundred grand is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. How how important is it as a centre back, particularly when you're playing at the the elite level, to have someone that you you played with for so many games because you, you form that understanding, don't you? I think it probably goes under the radar how difficult it can be when things are being chopped and changed with defensive partnerships. Oh, it's ma- it's absolutely massive. Like you, you, you just get an understanding with. But look, because you 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 know, if you don't get it right, you can see goals, you lose games. So um, you know, yeah, you, you have to have that partnership. You have to have that trust, that understanding, that that cover, that balance. Um, you know that that I suppose that kind of that knowledge that when you go in for certain areas, you, you're going to have that kind of presence behind you or that that whatever um, that support. And um, so it naturally just happens over time, um, and you just get you, you get used to each other's strengths and weaknesses, and, and that you know that forms in a really nice base for for um everybody to play off. Um, so yeah, it's 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 it's, it's I mean it's absolutely vital, um, especially you know, those days back then when you're you know going against the Rooney Torres, Drogba's, you know, Vinistoroys, and you know strikers that you know. You, you kind of look at these days. You kind of think of you know Harland, and then, then it's tough to think of a number, another number nine that was kind of you know up there with those other guys I just mentioned. It's kind of weird. It's just shows would you. Game would you have fancied team. your chances up against Harland? I, I you know I I would, I would have fa- I would have fancied my chances, but I don't know how positive it would have come out. <laughs> <laughs> I would have backed myself, but I probably would have got smashed. He's pretty awesome. No, um, it's. Um, He's just an incredible player, and he's he's got everything right. So, um, yeah, that that would have been a, just just add add that guy to the list of um, you know prayers that I've had to say to get me through the game. Who um, from your early days, sort of coming to prayer? Who who was the one player or striker that you played up against where you just thought, 
wow, like this is this is like another level, like the toughest opponent you'd sort of faced. I, I get asked this question quite often, actually, and um, I always come back to. And I was with um, I was with Arsene Wenger um, a week ago, actually, just at the Women's World Cup, and we were talking, and um, and I said to him that the hardest I've ever come across was the Henri Burkamp combination up front for Arsenal at that time. Mm. Uh, that was just stupid. They, you know, I can remember them beating me and then literally coming back and beating me again, and then just that coming back and beating me. It was like they were just toying with me. It just felt like I can remember after the game, just looking in the mirror, going, you know, guy, am I really up for this? Is this, is this really the job I should be doing? <laughs> like I, I had to really take a cold hard look at myself. But then you, then you got to kind of understand that these two are one of the greatest players of of all time. Arson did say, like he did say a really interesting um quote to me afterwards. And he goes, Yeah, and Arsenal just bought Declan Rice for a hundred whatever million. He goes, he, he bought Patrick Vieira for 2.5 million. It's, it's crazy the money, right? Patrick yeah, Vieira totally. There's a, there's inflation and then there's in, inflation, isn't there? I wonder what you would have cost in uh you would have cost uh, in, in today's game. I might have I might have broke the 10 grand mark, maybe. Of, <laughs> there's, no of, multiple, uh, there's no multiple of zero is there <laughs> <laughs> a couple of pies and a couple of pints and that'd be it, that'd be it. <laughs> um, after so much stability obviously and when you'd come in with Mark Hughes as the manager he obviously moves to Manchester City Paul Ince comes in how different was that for you as well your first new manager coming into Blackburn and, and what was that period like for the club it was a difficult period because we had we had a lot of success, um, but um, but Paul came in and and tried to kind of, um, I suppose you know Mark Mark ran a really tight ship, and I I think Paul wanted to just make it a bit more um, on the players and a bit more kind of uh, relaxed in, in a way, and and it kind of backfired a wee bit, and that, that that's on the players just as much, um, you know, and we kind of we we dropped our stands, and in, in all honesty, when I look back. Um and um the kind of training foul and you know just the just as I said just the habits just dropped and you know you go I'm only talking you know might you know a couple of percent here and there but they add up and in the Premier League you just you just it's just brutal you you cannot you you've you've got to keep increasing one or two percent every year not decreasing um so um that was a really tough time um under Paul and, and I think you know looking back that the chairman wanted to do a very very um similar kind of model to to kind of Mark who had just finished playing and you know just coming into management and that was a great success and same with Paul right just finished and and coming into management so it's kind of it kind of went to that model but but it probably didn't work out um as hoped I suppose, as you say, in terms of if you stand still, you're almost going backwards at the Premier League that time, and particularly with the the money starting to really start to roll at that point, it didn't take that many poor transfer windows or, or drop of a few percent for other teams to quickly catch you up at that time either. Yes, brutal. Um, the, yeah, the Premier League's brutal. Or anything at the at the pointy end of the the stick is is pretty ruthless, and um, and and as I said, I think you know that was on us. I think we kind of. The players, I look back, you know, the players drop their standards. Just a wee bit, just, just relax, which which is a wee bit natural to do when, when you always have to be on um, week in and week out. And when you get the opportunity to kind of relax, we did and we suffered the consequences bad in, in honesty and, and didn't start well. And then, you know, bad window and 
you know, then just, yeah, just, it just kind of snow. Winning can be like contagious and like losing can be snowballing. It's like, it's horrible. So, um, yeah, we kind of go into that. Yeah. And then obviously Sam Allardyce came in quite quickly. How, how was he for you and, and how did you find working under Sam? Oh, I, I love Big Sam. Um, I, I liked him because you just you just know what you, what you get with him. You know, he expects a certain way. He expects a certain standard. He's, um, you know, he's extremely um, tough on the players. Um, if you don't do your job, you know, you hear about it. If you do the job, you know, you hear about it as well in, in a good way. And so it was pretty, it's pretty, you know, cut and dry. It's pretty crystal clear what you've got to do. And he made it really simple. Like the game, the game plans, you just broke the game down very simply and just go out and do it. You know, don't ask questions, don't mess around, just go do it. And I, and I like that clarity of thought. You know, people do, people, people will, will say, um, well, you know, we need to, uh, we need to play out of the back. We need to play a bit better or this and that, or, you know, he ultimately just wanted to win and, and ultimately, when it comes down to it, that's what everybody wants is winning. Um, and he got that back in with Blackburn. It's, you know, come on, stop messing around here. We've got to win football games and, um, and you know, shut your mouths and get going, get working, roll the sleeves up and let's go. And that that clarity of kind of that simplicity, it sounds so easy, right? But, you know, you can overcomplicate things in football clubs and and he brought he just brought it back down, right down to earth and let's go win games. There is a, a definite skill in terms of playing a style of football that ultimately suits the players you've got because particularly in the modern day, everyone wants to play expansive football, play out from the back, as you said, but there is also a, a big skill set in knowing the players you have and, and playing the system that ultimately gets the best out of them. Absolutely. Um, no, it's, you know, everybody, the, 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 the problem is if you ask 11 players, you're going to get 11 different styles of football mm-hmm. that you want to play. So the, so the manager's, you know, fingerprint, you know, it's his DNA is the team, right? So um, you need to, you need to play. And then ultimately it's like, you know, how can I get my team as quick as possible to win football games? And um, with the team we had, he was pretty successful in doing that. Like, you know, position we're in, we're in big trouble. And, um, you know, most, you know, historically, it's it's hard to get out of there. But it, but ultimately, in the end, we kind of made it quite easy. And um, and that was just down to, you know, him looking at the team, looking what needed to be done and, and doing it no matter what was kind of wanted, you know, what was popular, if you know what I mean. You know, yeah. playing out the back, looking good. But ultimately, we stayed in the Premier League, and that was the number one, the number one thing. There, there were a few relegation scraps towards the sort of end of the the two thousands. Um, was there any years where, obviously, you stayed up for for most of that until twenty eleven? But was there any years that you thought you could be in trouble, and and where you wondered whether whether you would have enough to stay up? The I think it was the one where we had to go to Wolves on the pretty much the final. That was actually going to be my next sort of question. I think there were there were five teams that could have gone down that year, weren't they? And you yeah. were, went three 0 up, I think, in the first half, and then it ended three two. Yeah, I think that was was that was that Steve Keane. Yes, um, it was. That was ten eleven. Steve, Steve Keane. Yeah, yeah. Steve was the manager, and that's and again that was another kind of um, decision that was a, str- a strange one in the end. Um, that when. Sam kind of left it when we we're about ninth or something like that, tenth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're in a we're in a pretty good spot, and then we kind of again just those little changes. Um, it can be really positive or really negative sometimes in football clubs, and um, but that Wolves game, I was injured, I can remember, um, and then um, going up three nil um, was just 
yeah, it was one of the most. Um, yeah, it was pretty, you know, pretty relieved at halftime, and then then bang, bang, three, two. You're like, oh no. But I think I think in the end, even a draw was going to get us through, right? And the results kind of worked out in our favour. But but that wasn't that was a pretty uncomfortable time ago, isn't it? Yeah, I can imagine. I think there's a clip going around as well from that game where the Wolves fans are sort of singing, "We only need one goal," because I think goal difference wise, that that's what would have kept them up. And in, in the end, as you say, you both stayed up quite comfortably with results elsewhere. You, you touched on the the Sam Allardyce departure and, and Steve Keane uh, a second ago. How? Is that for you as, you know, one of the senior members of that dressing room? There's obviously quite a lot of big personalities still at the club at this stage. When a decision like that's made and you're just sort of scratching your head a little bit, do, do you go and look for clarity from those above or, or do you just have to get on with it? Well, you, you know, you have to get on with it because decisions are made. Um, and so, you know, whether those decisions are political or, you know, whatever style of play or whoever's making those most of those decisions at the top, you've got to trust them that they're doing it for the right reasons for the club. Um, whether they turn out right or wrong is, you know, it, it it's, doesn't really matter in all honesty because, you know, hindsight's very easy to, to say, oh, we should never have done that, blah, blah, blah. But you've got to, you know, I, I always faith in, in people who make decisions that they're trying to do what's best for the club. Um, they're trying to put the club first and foremost and the fans first and foremost. And, you know, you've got to, you've got to take the good with the bad. And, you know, you know, we, with, with those kind of, um, in those positions, you've got to take a lot of responsibility and, and sometimes those decisions go wrong. And so I don't like blaming um, people or, or I don't like, you know, because that's people, people won't make decisions. People won't take risks if you, if you're just always getting kind of, um, you know, and you just get these safe people when you go nowhere anyway. But um, so I always look at it, then it's down to us players, you know, decisions be made. We've got to get on with it. And, um, you know, we're going to try and make the, make, make the most of it instead of, you know, asking questions or complaining or moaning, no, you've got to you've got to do what's best. You know, you're a professional. You get paid to do what you do. The fans expect a certain, you know, at least a certain amount of work ethic. So you've got to do that. Um, but that was a was a was a probably a, an interesting moment in the club. And um, I think that the hierarchy of the club will probably um, answer the, the the question and probably a bit better than I would. Yeah, of course. It, it, as I say, it must have been difficult at that time because obviously the results did did drop under Steve Keane at, at that point. Your your exit, I can imagine, is a little bit well. It's a, it leaves a bit of a bit of taste for you because you never got the opportunity to say goodbye. How how was how difficult was that for you to 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 have to well to be forced to do that in the way that you left the club, having been there for so long? Yeah, at the time, um, I don't know who the CEO was at the time. I can't remember his name, but um, he was deciding to cut the wage bill and get rid of pretty much the older players. Which again is fine. It's a it's a decision that was that was made. And at that time, I, I was injured. I'd been injured on a long. I got injured away at Chelsea. Where I cracked a in a Frank Lampard tackle. Like fractured my bottom of my femur, and so I, I was out for seven or eight months. And it was a shocking injury to come at my age. And so, but I ended up coming back, and I ended up um, um, playing a game against Huddersfield. I, you know, I don't know if you've heard the story. But I don't want to bore you, but um. But no, not playing the reserve game, um, we won 4-2. I scored two goals, which is obviously, you know, is pretty rare. Played <laughs> 80 minutes. It felt great. It was like the 27th of January or something like that. It was like a Wednesday. And um, 
saw Steve Keen after the game and said, I'm fit, ready to go. I'm available for selection. If you need me, you know, feel, feel just finally, you know, feel really good. And um, I messed around with the young guys afterwards, just just kind of, you know, kicking around. So it was about an hour and a half um, after the game before I finally got into the locker room. And I had so weird. I had two messages on my phone. One was from the Blackburn CEO saying, Ryan, we don't want you anymore. We've negotiated a, um, a settlement for you. But in this, you've just got to pack up your locker and, and leave. Go. Um, and I was like, oh, gee whiz. Why, like, you why know. do you think that was a contingent? Like, What 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 was the interest of them for you to just leave ultimately rather than get that chance to say goodbye? Well, ultimately, I, I don't think it would have looked good for them if if I went to the fans and said goodbye. They'd probably ask, why am I going, going and all that kind mm. of stuff. And, you know, they'd, they'd done a couple of things that um, I had a I had a contingency in my contract that um, if on my knee, because I had a previous knee operation, yeah. that if I was, if I had, um, yeah, if I had missed kind of six weeks of um, of training because of my knee, then they can cut my wages by 50%. So the same CEO had come down to the medical department and said said to, to, to the me and Dave Fever at the time, the physio, and goes, Ryan, sorry, we're going to cut your wages by 50% now because it's been six weeks because of your knee. And um, unfortunately, the guy got the, my, the knee wrong. It was my other knee that had the claws in it. But but once, once you kind of hear that, you know, and I'd been been in the club for nearly nine years, and I was a free and captain for literally most of the time. And then, you know, your, your CEO is kind of saying things like that. It kind of hurts a bit, and and then when you get that kind of phone call, it was one of those ones where I I think he just wanted me. He didn't want that kind of fallback from the fans or fallback from players or staff or anything like that. And so. I was like, if that's if that's your decision, then you know, respect it. You, you're you're the you're the CEO. Then okay. So I just I just started packing up my locker, and, um, and then the second message was from Harry Redner. He goes, Ryan, I hear you're leaving Blackburn. <laughs> Do you want to come down to Tottenham? I was like, what? What the hell? Just he found out before you did. <laughs> exactly. How the hell does does he does he know that? So it was a really weird moment where I've you know told to pack up the bags from. Blackburn, but then I was pretty much on the train down to Tottenham, so it's strange. It's funny how football can work like that. Do you think there was a lack of respect shown given the longevity you'd been at the club, you know, being the club captain, as you said, and it was just symptomatic of the time at the club that was clearly changing and decisions that, that ultimately backfired in the end? No, I've got absolutely no animosity to to anyone in the, in, at the club or, or anything. You know, again, um, always come back to it that he was trying to make a decision that was probably best for the club right he wanted a he wanted to get an older player who who had just come back from an injury you know he, in in his world or or whoever's making the decisions that was the best decision for the club at the time and and you've got to respect that um you know because you can if you go around you know worrying about those little things you know all the time you just become a wee bit of an angry person i think you kind of you know so i was i totally get it I would have played for Blackburn for free, so for all those years. So to being paid to play for that club and being that captain of that club for that amount of years, I was just, you know, it's, it was the greatest. You know, I was so lucky. It was the greatest time of my life. Like it was, I was so happy. And so, um, 
you know, could have ended differently. Yeah, I, absolutely. I would have, um, you know, I would have loved to have loved to have done it completely differently. But you've got to respect the, you know, the management at the time, and, and that was it. I think that it shows, doesn't it, how quickly and how precarious life is at the top in the Premier League. As you say, you know, a few decisions that go the wrong way, bit of luck with injuries and stuff, and suddenly you're you're in the Championship, and obviously Rovers have have never been back in the Premier League since. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's where you know you've you know at the top that it is a really really you know t- it's tough there to make these decisions. I, I really respect them. When I look back, it's hard that for these these chairmen, these CEOs, and the managers of football clubs, you know, they've it's precarious decisions that can that can send you you know upwards or downwards very quickly. And so, you know, I, you know, and and that and they don't get much <laughs> when it goes downwards. The the you know it's pretty brutal. The you know the the kind of criticism that they, that they get, but that's why you know they're in those positions, and so um, you know, um, but there's so much positive stuff coming from Blackburn, you know, these days, right? So um, you know, I think they've really got kind of a nice foundation there and a, and a great structure, and you know, and so hopefully we, we always seem to be there or thereabouts, right? But hopefully this will be the year. Yeah, fingers crossed. Obviously, even today, it probably comes to you quite a humble person quite clearly so it probably surprises you how well thought of you still are by Blackburn fans you're obviously named in their best ever 11 from the the fans votes how, how much does that mean to you to to have got that recognition and, and to still I'm sure get hundreds of messages from Blackburn fans today oh it's as I said like um I would have I would have played for the club for free. Actually, I would have paid paid to play for, for the club <laughs> at the time. It was good job you didn't tell them that at the time. Yeah, <laughs> but to, um, you know, but to have that that amount of time, um, playing for them in that kind of era with all those players and with the fans all around it and the staff and there's just so many good people there. It was such a great family club. It still is, but but at the time it was just just an incredible moment. Um, that I look back with with just um, incredible fondness, you know, and I, I, you, you get a bit teary-eyed when you hear things like, um, you know, oh, your best 11 kind of thing, because, like, no way in my head could I even fathom that, considering how many good players I played with at Blackburn and who have played at previous and, and after and all that. I don't, I was, I just felt like I was, I was going to be found out at some stage pretty soon, so... Um, the one, the one regret I do have is that I've, I've still never been back, and um, I do one day want to um, obviously go back and hug everybody that's still there, or you know that I haven't seen in so long. That'd be, it'd be just, it'd be lovely. I know that the fans would love to see that as well. Um, for for an absolute fact, um, I've read an interview that you you were talking about. Obviously, you've spoke about your knee problems before, but. I think you were advised at 18 that you probably wouldn't play a professional game as a result. How much, to say the longevity you had, how, how much was that a hamper for you? How much did that hamper you? Yeah, it's really strange because, um, you know, they, they said I was done. I could never play, you know, serious sport again, committed sport with that. So when you, when you get that kind of, when you get told that at a young age, you either go one one or two ways, right? You go, oh, you know, flag it, give it in. Or you go, well, I've got nothing to lose then. So I kind of went, I've got nothing to lose. And so I just kept doing everything as hard as I can on it and kept working it as hard as I can. And then and then when I, whenever I had a professional contract, every single contract had a clause in that if you didn't, you know, um, if you were out for four weeks or whatever it was, 
they could cut my wages. And so mm. I don't know if it was psychological where you're thinking, there's no way I'm going to go down with my knee anymore because I lose wages, right? So you just do everything you can to um, to keep going and keep going. And maybe you become a better professional. Maybe you become a better, um, I know psychologically, you just become harder. You handle the pain more maybe. Um, I think that's probably what it was. I got used to training and playing and pain and, and discomfort mm. and I was pretty much, let alone the knee, when you go against all those good strikers in the Premier League, it's pretty dis- pretty uncomfortable and pretty horrible, but I was, I was kind of used to it, I suppose. So, um, yeah, I look back and um, and it's just one of those things where I was like, uh, you know, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down this, this you know, little bit of pain in the knee or quite a bit. Yeah, just want to take things to current day now. Obviously, you're you're the co-founder at, at Raw. Um, for those in the UK that might not be as familiar with with the the company, tell us a little bit about what you do today with that. And and was it always something you wanted to go into, sort of the more commercial side of sport? Yeah, I I, I did. As, as I said, I um again when I was younger, I never really thought I could you know be a professional footballer, and so I was I went to university for um I was at Stanford University, and then I got a scholarship to go to Stanford Law. So I wanted to be a, a lawyer, um, in all honesty. But um they said go out into the real world. So I did two years of real world, which was playing for DC United, which extended for two years and then Blackburn and then I met a lot of lawyers and didn't want to be a be a lawyer. <laughs> but I but I always always had a kind of entrepreneurial kind of um you know commercial kind of um streak in me um I, I do respect a lot of of, of what happens over the otherwise wanted to start companies and and do things like that it's just soccer somebody was willing to pay me to play soccer so i couldn't let that one that one go so um so yes yeah, so i started a couple of it companies that um uh that are with basketball and rugby actually and then um i have a management company as well um, on the side and so so yeah so at the moment I'm I'm just grinding away in the real world like uh like everybody else absolutely um if you don't mind just to finish off, I've got some quick fire questions for you uh absolutely. about your time at Rovers what what was your best moment in a Blackburn ship oh goodness those questions are the worst and I know, one that just springs to mind top of your head I I, I think it was um the the first Derby, um, Blackburn, Burn. Sorry, the the home leg of the Blackburn Burnley derby at Ewood Park when we drew at Burnley, and then we came back to Blackburn, and I was given the captain's armband for the first time. I think it was my seventh game. Wow, that was special for an East Lancs derby. Yeah, so in the derby at home, and to be given the captain's armband after like my seventh game. At the time, I didn't really think about it that much. I was like, oh, okay, let's just get to work. But when I look back now, I'm like. Yeah, you know, little old New Zealander playing in America, come over to England, seven games in, you've got the captain's arm and, and for one of the biggest games of obviously of the last few years and in, in, in that time. That was pretty special. Best player you played with, although I fear I may you may I may already know the answer to this. For with Blackman? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean they're they're all really different. Um all of them. You know, and on their day, there's so many so hard. I mean you know, naturally, it's pretty obvious. There's only one. You know, I don't even have to say his name, but he loves a cigarette. Um, 
but but you know, there's so many really good players. You know, Chrissy Samba was just immense as a centre back. Brad Friedel was arguably on his time the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, you know, even on, on his day at that time, you you know, Roque Santa Cruz when he first came in, and Craig Bellamy when he came in, he they were incredible. Some of the some of the goals that Mort's game Peterson scored were just incredible. Um, Brett Emerton never stopped running, in, but he never got the recognition. I, I reckon, but he was just up and down. You know, even Bentz, David Bentley on his day hat trick against Man U. It's just, mm-hmm. I think, I think everybody played some of their best football at Blackburn, and when they moved on, a lot of them never really replicated it. So it's pretty cool that you know everybody kind of peaked when they were. At Blackburn, which is a really good, that's a good, you know, sign for a, for a great club. No, you're absolutely right. I think you, that's that's totally true. When you look back at some of these players' careers, you're right. They, they, everyone seems to have come at their best to, at one point together. Um, favorite atmosphere that you had at Ewood Park? Ah, uh, it's got to be it's got to be that same game. I reckon when when Mort scored late to win that game, and then the crowd stormed the field a wee bit, and um, came on the field. Oh, that was just that was incredible. I think beating Burnley then was um was probably one of the best best atmospheres I've ever, I've ever had. Beating Man U um at Edward and I used to you know so many being the big boys was always good because because ultimately the crowd was up for it. it was the fans really because nobody wanted to go to Blackburn on a on a on a beautiful Blackburn day where it rained, snowed and windy and the fans were up for it and. Yeah, so the fans probably took out, you know, quite a few of the teams for us, actually. Favourite person to room with if you had to share rooms on a, an away trip? Yeah, it was probably, it was Brett Emerton was uh, probably one of, my, one of my best friends there at the club. Um, you know, despite being Australian, he was a pretty good guy. So, uh, so yeah, it was, it, Brett would have been the guy. Uh, did you prefer night games or Saturday 3pm? Uh, Saturday 3pm. Every day, I uh, love the three PM kickoffs. Um, for some reason, I just felt like the fans were more engaged, and um, and you could always felt like you've got the Saturday night, or you know, to yeah, enjoy or commiserate. But uh, there's nothing there's nothing better than a three PM kickoff. I used to love them. What What was your favourite away ground that you visited? Um, St James's. I used to love. Love playing Newcastle only because we used to win there all the time, and then he, and then there used to be riots and people used to go crazy. Um, I used to, I, I did like um, White Hat Lane, and I really liked um, um, Highbury as well. You know, when I played there a couple of times. There's just something about those grounds that were were kind of special, but but yeah, I wouldn't take Old Trafford or Anfield. You know, I, it felt it felt staged. You know. Mm. Didn't feel didn't feel real. So you weren't tapping the the sign on the Anfield when you were walking out or anything like that. Absolutely no chance. <laughs> <laughs> Was there any teams in particular you always like facing for for whatever reason? Maybe you got a, a bit of a good record against them or felt like you got their number. Well, at the time, at the time, which just sounds so ironic now, but we had a really good run against Man City um, and Newcastle. We had a really good run. Um, we did pretty well against Bolton as well, and yeah. And we used to, you know, whenever Arsenal came to to Ewood, you always felt like we were going to beat them. Maybe when we went down there, it was a bit different. But um, no, like every every Premier League game was 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 pretty intense, and so to get three points was just that was it. No matter who you played. 
And then just finally, best and worst trainer that you had whilst you were at the club? Oh, the worst trainer, pretty comfortably, I think, would have to be Robbie Savage. Like, <laughs> he was disgraceful. Like, like, even in the gym, he couldn't even do a pull-up. You know, like, he couldn't even lift a weight. When he, when he was out, out training, he, he, you know, he, he could, his passing was horrendous. But to, to to be fair to Robbie, what I loved about Robbie is he was not scared of the arena. So the bigger the game, the the more of the personality turned up. So yeah, that's that was that was his his awesome way. But yeah, he was by far the worst. Um, best, some of the best, probably like probably two because was one of the best because he didn't really. He didn't really train that hard in a way. And all the stuff that you see on the field, he times that by five in training because he didn't, he just, you know, he he, he didn't have to worry about, you know, giving the ball away. So he'd try everything. So it was pretty fun to to watch Tugs in training. Not when you're on the end of it, because he used to embarrass the living daylights out of you if you got caught. But yeah. Did you have a few uh, few months where he left you a little bit red faced? Oh, it's pretty much every day. That's just <laughs> pretty, pretty common. So yeah. No, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. No worries. It's absolutely my pleasure. And um, you know, say hi to all the fans there from me. And um hopefully I'll hopefully I'll get to Ewood Park and uh can have a pie and a pint with them one day. <laughs>